And now for something completely similar, my lonely days are over. And this podcast is like a song. Oh, yeah. Wow, baby. Yes? Is that how we start? Is that our open now? I'm gonna. I want to be the big bopper, I guess. And okay. Hello, baby. Yeah, we're gonna talk about British film, baby. What movie? Oh, I don't know, baby. It's called Great Expectations. Chantilly lace, got a pretty face, got a ponytail hanging down, and so on. For those of you who don't have video, which is everyone, uh, Jason was doing a visual gag at the same time. I just wanted to point that out on an audio medium. Was I? What was my visual gag? You're holding the phone to Oh, well, well, yeah, because that's what the Big Bopper does. He, yeah. he does it. I, I can't help, if I'm doing a Big Bopper impression, I have to have the, the hand phone up to the face. Yeah, I'm surprised you weren't, like, pretending to fly a plane. That's see, how you I fly see. a plane, by the way. You just move your arms up and down <laughs> you, like this. You're using ropes to fly the plane. Yeah, I'm pulling on two <laughs> reins. Either, either two ropes or like two big dongs. He, ne- he never learned to fly a plane, but he knew how to how to how to drive a horse cart. So he just has reins. Well, why do you think the plane crashed? <laughs> Is they that sh- why he's called Roman Reigns? Because he likes horses. Wild horses. This is off the reins already. <laughs> hey, that's what we're doing, baby. We are out of the gate. Another horse metaphor. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, Coming into the home stretch, baby. Another one. <laughs> it's a photo finish. Is that a <laughs> there, yep, yeah. Okay. There you go. This is a podcast, and it's called Four Screen and Country. Normally on this podcast, we talk about the BFI Top 100 list. That's the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time, as curated in the year of our Lord and Savior, 1999. Uh, However, we're on a bit of an excursion right now. Yes, because you have to understand, whereas those films, those British films are the cream of the crop that rise to the top, that never eat a pig because a pig is a cop. Those films are the best of the best, and what we are watching are films that are probably not nearly as good. But... We've had surprises. But, yes, we have, but they are indeed similar. Yes, completely similar. Completely similar in some manner. Um, Because we are talking about a movie this week which is a remake, a, a modernized remake. One of dozens, I imagine, versions of this story. Oh, yeah. But I think this might be the only, like, modern update remake of this particular in, story. In, uh, in the in the style of the era, yes. you might say. Um, and it is, it is a remake of a film that we talked about some time ago, uh, Great Expectations, which mm-hmm. was number five on the BFI Top High. 100. High up the list. And deservedly so. A very good film. A very good film. A David Lean film. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about 1998's Great Expectations.
So that haunting theme, I almost said haunting mm. aroma. Yeah. That haunting theme <laughs> can only mean one thing, Jason. It is the 1998 uh, remake of Great Expectations. And yeah, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about this film. This is a film that until I uh, looked into it to do it on this show, that I did not know it was directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Nor I, till I actually saw it pop up in the credits and was like, oh... Oh, Itumama Tepien, Harry Potter and the, and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And, gravity. And gravity. Yeah. Fucking Gravity Man. Yeah. Gravity Man was the sequel. Gravity Man. Because they wanted to do, it's like, it's the same movie, but instead of a chick, it's a fucking dude. Yeah, George Clooney, he actually it's survived. A it's a prequel. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, he actually survived and he's living on space air. It's about him being an astronaut and learning to go to space. Not, and how to deal with chicks. Yeah, oh. Yeah, because Alfonso Cuaron movies are all about <laughs> toxic masculinity, above all else. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to call it now. The next Alfonso Cuaron movie will have uh, Andrew Dice Clay and Dennis Leary uh, uh, co-headlining. <laughs> can only dream, Jason. A man can dream, can't. This movie, Great Expectations, as, you said, as we said, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, uh, an amazing cast in this movie. Yes. We have, uh, again, this is a remake of the of the David Lean adaptation. I guess it, it is. it does feel like a remake, though, I will does say. It, it does I, a little I, bit. I think it's just another adaptation of the story of Great Expectations. I, I understand that that's technically what it is, but mm. I feel like a lot of Lean is in this. Well, then we will have your argument made as we go across this thing. Well, we have Ethan Hawke playing Finn Bell, which is not the name of the character no. it's not he's not pip no, in this movie finn um we have gwyneth paltrow as estella do you think do you think finn wolfhard's parents named him after the character in this movie maybe uh, they were just really big fans of great expectations and like like four or five years years later like you remember that movie we should name our kid after that uh, that fun artist jason i leave it to you to uh find out if that's true i have my doubts but you know what i'll, I'll, I'll have to tweet him to ask his parents <laughs> Can you ask? Can you ask your mom and dad if you were named after the Quaron Great Expectations film? You'll definitely get a reply. If he has a sister named Estella, then yes, we'll know it's true. Or Gwyneth. Mm. We also have uh, Chris Cooper as Uncle Joe. Chris Cooper, right in the prime of Chris Cooperdom. Uh, like this was what ninety eight. So the year after this, he was in American Beauty. Did he win? I don't know if he got nominated for an Academy Award, but I don't think so. He, but he, he was great he, in that movie. He got. I think he he won for adaptation. I'm pretty sure. That which was, was in two thousand two. Yeah, it was but he has later. the he has the adaptation look. Yes. At this point. Yeah, he is definitely in. Like I say, the apex of his career. I felt like Chris Cooper was everywhere at this time. We have uh, Anne Bancroft playing Nora Dinsmore, a.k.a. the Miss Havisham of this movie. The late great, and if I'm not mistaken, wife of uh, Mel Brooks. Yeah, yeah. Until, till, until the day she Wonderful. died. Wonderful. Uh, we have Hank Azaria showing mm. up as Walter. A um, very young-looking Hank Azaria. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely doing a bit of a high voice. Or was this whole movie high? I mean, you, no, I think you were high. No, I mean, did, 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 was the version we watched maybe... Tuned up a little bit, like in the <laughs> frequency range. I don't think so. Uh, just, it's just the opening fanfare sounded weird to me. Okay, okay. Um, we have, uh, we have, of course, uh, Nell Campbell as Erica Thrall. I believe she is the uh, the artsy uh, lady ah, yes. who's helping him out. And last but not least, we can't forget Jason, famed British uh, sensation Robert De Niro. Yes, is playing uh, Arthur Lustig, aka the criminal at the beginning of the movie and the secret benefactor. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That is your cast. Mm. So going in, I was like, I think we're in good hands. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Spoiler alert. 
Yeah, Brendan, this was a this was a movie of its time. I would say, in many ways, a movie of its time is the, probably yeah the best way to describe it. Um, in, in, I mean, in, in just in how it looks and feels and sounds, uh, and the fact that Gwyneth Paltrow and Ethan Hawke are starring in it, like this is this pins it to a very specific uh, you know nineteen ninety eight nineteen ninety nine existence. Also, the fact that it is a modern retelling of an old story was very much in vogue in that time we remember from that era things like romeo and juliet which this one this movie i feel like wants to be but yeah, it's but not that's, <laughs> i mean you love him or hate him Boz lerman has a fucking style yeah and this movie as much and don't get me wrong i like alfonso Cuaron, but this movie feels i mean it's an early movie of his and it feels kind of flat compared to his later work it's also let's keep in mind it's also not written by alfonso no. Cuaron, and no. um Actually, we have a little clip here. Maybe we should play this right you now. You want to hear it right we're, into the we're, gate? We're, we're gonna, let's listen to Alfonso Cuaron. He was taking place in a director's roundtable. I don't know why you're opening up Google Chrome. Well, I'm going to look at some porn while we uh, go, listen to this clip. You have, an, you have incognito mode installed, right? Close Chrome. So we're going to take a listen to this clip. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron at a director's roundtable in 2013. You'll hear other voices uh, like David O. Russell... And uh, Ben Stiller, for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> but there are a few of them that are there. And uh, they're asking him about uh, filmmaking. And he talks about He mentions great expectations. So here we go. We're going to set the tone for this episode. I forgot that I used to write my stories and do my own stuff. And I became this reader of, of screenplays that they were sending to me. And I started forgetting that I, that I had a voice or anything. And it started to become everything more about an industry and stuff. And then I did a film that was a horrible experience. And, Which uh, one? Uh, great Expectations. That, uh, what was horrible about it? That is a film that I should have not done. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. It's uh, talking about choices. Yeah. It's a film that I passed many times, and then I end up saying yes, because I did a film for the wrong reasons. And I was jealous that you got to make that film because I wanted to make it. Really? You should have done it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love David Lean's Great Expectations. Uh, well, that's part of the problem. Is <laughs> 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 that there's this go. other great film? <laughs> you're in the shadow of that film? Is that what you mean? You're in the shadow? No, it's of just, it was just everything was the wrong... It, it was doing the film for the wrong choice, for the oh, wrong I also reasons. Lo- I also loved yours, but I'm saying that's why I want it, because I love the story from that. You did it for well, the wrong reasons. you lost touch with you. Well, I was so, yeah, yeah it was, it was uh, solely, I, and I had amazing collaborators and amazing cast and everything. The problem was not anything around. Why did you make that decision, though? It's one of those things. I did my first film, and it was well-received. It was a small family film. And then I was just traveling around, and... I started running out of money. I need to get a job. And so it was the money. It was not the money. It was I wanted the money. to make a movie, and suddenly it was, you know, the, the possibility of working with De Niro and the possibility of working with such. And so I said, yes, why not? Even if I have already read the screenplay and said, I don't want to do it. And then I lost my way. But at the end, it was, it was not so much the filmmaker. It was the, the person. What was, your, what was your rediscovery film? I'm uh, Yeah, so right out of the gate, we're going into this. Quaran does not like his own movie. Yeah. Uh, he says it was a horrible experience. And did it for the wrong reasons. Did it for the wrong reasons. He felt like he, he wanted to work with these people mm. that are in the movie. Wasn't that part of what got him into it? But what I'd read is that Ethan Hawke uh, uh, wanted to do it, and he wanted to work with Ethan Hawke. And I'm sure, as he said, De Niro as well. Yeah, well, yeah, Ethan Hawke, he really liked Ethan Hawke in uh, Before Sunrise, so he really wanted to work with Ethan Hawke, and uh, Ethan Hawke was like, 
I don't, I think you should have like to really kind of go at the class differences and have this be not just another white dude movie. I think you should cast someone that's like you know a person of color. And uh, Alfonso Cuarón was like, no, no, I want you. <laughs> I was also very, very far ahead of the thinking in 1998. For yeah, sure. person of what now? In a movie? Like a like a like As a, a lead? <laughs> oh, well, hold on. We made Shaft in Africa. We're all we're we're good. We're, we're good. square. Yeah, it's it's all equal now. <laughs> it's all equal. Racism was solved with Shaft in Africa. <laughs> That's what I've been saying for yeah. years. <laughs> the first Shaft came out, and we were like, okay, good start. And yeah. then Shaft in Africa came out, and we're like, okay, you know what? Pray, praise. This is it. We did it. We solved it. So, so we got Carl, and he's Carl. doing this movie. Yeah, and, and he wants uh, Ethan Hawke, and he, he gets Ethan Hawke. He gets him because Ethan Hawke was just so charmed by him. Yes, he said. Um, which I, you can hear in that clip. He sounds like a charming guy. Now I'm thinking back to my history. Have they ever worked together again? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Yeah. But he said it was a horrible experience working on the film. He doesn't specifically stay wa- say why. I'm assuming it has to do with the fact that he said, like he said, he didn't feel comfortable working on this movie. David O. Russell points out, I love the David Lean film. And, of course, he says, that's the problem, yeah. is that everybody loves the David Lean film. And he felt this, I'm assuming he felt this weight on his shoulders the whole time. Well, and I get the sense that maybe he didn't, like he says, he didn't he didn't do it for the right reasons. So maybe he didn't have a connection to this story. He mentioned the money aspect of it. It's like, yeah, I could make this movie. I mean, and I don't blame a man for taking a job if he needs it. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But. It's refreshing to hear someone like Alfonso Cuaron, who many people think of now as like a very much like an artiste. Like he's not a guy who just throws his name on something. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's refreshing to hear someone like that be like, yeah, I did that. I was that guy one time. Yeah. Like I made a movie because I needed to make a movie. Yeah. It just gives it, – it takes off a layer of pretension yeah. to me. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it just – it seems a lot more grounded in that in that interview yeah. when he mentions that. Yeah, because you uh, – yeah, because my, my view of Carrod is of the pretentious director. I don't – like I say, that's probably the first time I've actually heard the man speak and seen him actually, you know, in an interview. And he seems like a normal dude. But some of his movies, I get the sense that, oh, he's like this fancy art house director and, and he's making, you know, bigger budget art house movies essentially. But I, I've liked what I've seen too, so I'm not complaining about that. But yeah, no, he seems all right. I'd like to hang out and have a beer with him. Well, that's Jason, what this podcast is about, right? So, so we are agreed. We will have a beer with Alfonso Cuarón. Jason, ladies and gentlemen, Alfonso Cuarón. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello, my friends. <laughs> Wait, Antonio Banderas? Yes. Robert, yes. Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. You know what? I'm not doing that accent. <laughs> well, not no. in 2020, Brandon. As fun as it is. Yeah. By the way, we're recording this. I just want to point this out. We're recording this the night before the election. The, the United election. States of America election. American election. Yeah. yeah. So just, that's where our heads are at right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if there's some unwarranted aggression that comes through in this podcast, you'll know why. Yeah. Um, so this movie immediately pisses me off. Like Donald Trump pisses me off? Okay. We're going to get into that every <laughs> time I say something, Jason. Yes. Um, no, this movie immediately sets me off because we st- – and I looked up to, to – verify this but we start off and there's fucking voiceover and it's so unnecessary Mm. it's completely unnecessary to the story because he basically ethan hawk is finn and we see him as a child and he's telling us everything that we already know gave me a real like great gatsby vibe yeah but like not well done no and apparently or idiocracy (laughs) that's a better comparison um apparently this film did not originally have this voiceover. Mm. Um, this was added in by producers, so you know another genius move. Um, do you know who wrote this dialogue? 
You, oh yeah, I did read that fact. Uh, I believe it was uh, David Mamet. Of David all people. Mamet yeah. wrote this like syrupy, weird, yeah. like expository dialogue. I thought, wait, there there was not not one, let alone nineteen f bombs in that dialogue. So how could David Mamet have wrote it? No secret Republican endorsement no. thrown in there. Nothing. <laughs> but yeah, no, and, and it's just, I do like the fact that at the beginning he kind of says. I'm going to tell the story how – I'm not going to tell the story how it happened. I'm going to tell it how I rem- how the way I remembered it. Which is actually an interesting callback to uh, – what was that movie we watched? Um, uh, Chariots of Fire, where he, he's like, you know, where we posit – well, I posit because I'm yeah. smart. That this is uh, – that that movie was a memory and that we were – that it was kind of through the, the view of the dude at the funeral, like, like yeah. telling this story. The dude uh, at the funeral, by the way, the short that later became the Big Lebowski. That's right. <laughs> Dude at the funeral. <laughs> I want to see that. Man, <laughs> this priest this priest will not stand. He's sitting down by the by the by the casket, man. And when John Goodman comes in, all hell breaks oh, loose. Yeah. Mark market zero, father. <laughs> um Yeah, where was I going with that? Yeah, so so the the idea of it it's kind of how he remembers it, so that kind of gives the movie a you know or, or lets the movie have a bit of an eerie quality to it, a bit of a dreamlike quality to some extent. Um, but also that narration being there kind of kills that, mm-hmm. uh, because we have this voice jabbering in our ear when we should just be kind of watching this surreal scene and letting it play out all the time. Yeah. Are you talking about in chariots with this? No, this specifically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time yeah. throughout the entire movie, it shows up so often. And that's why, that's why, like I said, I had to look it up to see if this was a conscious decision made during the production. And of course it was not. And I, I, I feel like with a lot of like classic stories, like, and I'm not going to pretend that I know great expectations inside and out. I've watched that South Park episode. I've watched the 1946 version. I've read the book. Um, but like with a lot of old movies, or rather movies based on these classic stories, you can just kind of let them be because it's like, if you want to know what the story's about, there are ways to find that out. And, and a lot of people that are watching these movies know what's going on. So you can kind of be just a little more like abstract with it. You don't necessarily have to explain everything. And, and Well, and it's, it, it's not only the fact that it's explaining everything. It's the fact that it's, it's, legitimately genuinely unnecessary because i'm following this without hearing this voiceover he's just reinforcing all the things we're kind of being shown he's like and just in case you don't get what we're trying to say with this scene this is what we're saying and that is such a studio thing to do oh we if if i ever make a movie like that i'll have a narrator but the narrator will be incredibly condescending and mean and be like okay dumb fuck do you get this uh do you get what we're saying here with our pretty pictures well jason when i make uh, a film like this my narrator is going to be explained the opposite (laughs) <laughs> just to confuse the fuck out of people like somebody's gonna like throw a rock across the pond and be like that day I'd ate an alligator for supper and it was delicious and people are like what that'll be some lovely dissonance I can't wait ah. look for it in spring of whenever the fuck this disease is over yay <laughs> but yes I, I dig the fact that it's it's he says he's an unre- unreliable narrator I don't like the fact that he says he's an unreliable narrator like he literally tells us um, but you know what I noticed too is as we get into the opening here, um, it's very similar to the opening of the 1946 film because we have him. But instead of like you know out in the field, he's in the water. Yeah. Because they live in like a, on like a dock somewhere. Um, in Florida. Florida, the the famous rapper. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think his name is just theme pretty. song of WrestleMania 30, maybe. I don't know. No. Does he sing Monster? Uh, uh, does he sing Low Rider? No. No, that's Flow D, is that DMX? Ride up. What? DMX does that sing low rider? I don't know. I, I don't know my raps. <laughs> that's not even rap. <laughs> oh, my God. I um, have pop culture blind spots. I admit it. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so similarly shot in the opening, I thought. Like, he does this thing that Lean did where, you know, remember how, like, when, when we see, like, the vast landscapes, there's, like, things in the foreground to kind of make everything kind of look wider? Mm. And he kind of does that when Finn is, like, running up and down the dock. Yeah. Like, not Ethan Hawke, but, like, young Finn. Yes. Um, this movie lets you know right away, this ain't your this ain't your daddy's great expectations, because let's listen to Robert De Niro as the uh, as the criminal, because he tells you right away. Yes. Yeah, we, 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 we went for an R in this one. What's your name? Finn. Whisper. What's your name? Finn. Whisper. Finn. What's your last name? Bill. Where you live? There's a bathroom up here. You have tools at home? Hey. You know what bolt cutters are? You know what they are, or you don't know what they are. <laughs> Listen, you I know your name, I know where you live. I can find you, and I'll gut you like a fish. I'll pull out your fucking insides, and I'll make you eat them. You hear me? I'll make you fucking eat them. You'll be here tomorrow morning at dawn with bolt cutters and any kind of food, or I'm gonna kill you for sure. You got me? I'll fucking kill you. You tell anyone. Anyone. Your folks. You're dead. You tell anyone, the last sound you hear will be your own scream. Go. Very, very aggressive. Very aggressive. <laughs> it's literally like he just walked in from like Goodfellas to play yeah. this role. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and I, I think he's a perfect, a perfectly acceptable choice for this role. I mean, Robert De Niro's intense and he can be very scary. And uh, I mean, obviously the guy in the 46 version is not nearly that scary, but he's kind of still kind of scary. Yeah. And also, we, we, we in this version, too, we lose the fight with the other convict uh, because there is no other convict. Yeah, not only does the second convict not in this movie, but also no Herbert Pocket, yeah. the character played by Alec Guinness, uh, which is which is a big part of that story, the kind of relationship he has yeah. with. But it's also because of the change of the story. So, as we know in the original, the story is on Pip. Um, he, you know, he starts hanging out with Miss Havisham and Estella, and he, you know, he wants to become a gentleman, and eventually there's an endowment, and he goes to become a gentleman, right? And yeah, so so he goes to do that, and in doing that, Pocket ends up being like kind of his window into that. He, the famous scene where they're sitting around having dinner, and he's like, "Oh, if I do anything wrong, you tell me what I'm doing." And yeah, he's helping him along and being there as like a confidant, you know. Um, in this one, that character doesn't exist, and it's partially because it's a different sort of story. It's not that he's becoming a gentleman; it's that he is leaving this, um, you know, uh, deep, deep south, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, hick town full of hillbillies, Brendan. Yes. Um, and going to the the you know upper class better world of New York where everybody's wonderful and money's to be made and success is had and joy is found. Yes, uh, but he doesn't have. But so it's almost a bit of a lonelier movie for the main character because he doesn't have that confident character. And and maybe that again, I think that probably could play into the kind of surrealness of the movie to some extent which as we know is totally undersold by the narration but like yeah it just feels like a lonelier experience for for finn versus pip and i do feel like it's this weird combination i feel like the movie is constantly at battle with itself because i feel like quran is putting these like these great shots uh cinematography mm. Uh, wonderful images and just like the his filmmaking style is still on display here because I think the movie does look very pretty. It does look it looks it has this nice like sun drenched or sun, you know what I mean? Yeah, sunburnt look to it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, it's kind of going head to head with this really clunky dialogue mm. throughout the whole movie mm. um, that just feels forced. No matter who's giving it, whether it's Ethan Hawke, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Bancroft, nobody's bad in this movie, mm. but like. Nobody sounds good because they're having to deliver this really bad dialogue. Yeah, they do their best because they're all talented people. But 
Sometimes shit just doesn't work, right? Like, I mean, when I watch the 1946 one, I get you get the idea that, um, you know, Miss Havisham was left at the altar. Yeah. She forever turned against men. Yes. She was forever against men, so much so that she told her daughter, I want you to seduce this man. Yes. Bother him, like, you know, string him along for years and then just dump him. Yeah. I feel like if I hadn't have watched that movie, I would not get that idea in this Wouldn't movie. Wouldn't get quite the same impression. I, I Yeah, I, I assumed that that is what was happening based on her attitudes. But also, we have to remember, too, this movie totally undersells that character at the end of it. Where yeah. we, we have this emotional moment where she, like, breaks down and realizes the error of her ways. And that's very American, isn't it? But that doesn't happen in, in the original. She dies a bitter old lady. The uh, Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, she does die in this movie yeah. off screen. But she has that moment of yeah. redemption, uh, I guess, a somewhat emotional redemption. We're, we're talking about, um, well, Miss Havisham, but in this movie, Nora. Uh, Dinsmore. Dinsmore. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what she goes the by. The mother of uh, famed wrestler yeah, so, so Nick she, Dinsmore. Yeah, absolutely. So she's... Yeah, so she's she's shitty in both, and she's stringing him along and whatever, and, and wants to destroy this man because she's mad about her failed marriage. Um, at forty six, she says in this movie that that was the thing is that she was an old maid by the time she was getting married. In yeah. that sense, uh, old maid in the classical sense. I'm not trying to cast aspersions here. You can live your life, but uh, you know, she waited that long, and then it got, all fell apart, and so she was just crushed. I mean, this woman that that for her, you know, in a time when marriage was like the number one objective of a woman. And and she mentions like yeah she mentions like she remained a virgin up to that point mm. so we're I think we're led to believe she still is mm. because you know she had she's sworn off everything yeah. uh, since then can we let's listen to a little bit of her dialogue because this is where she kind of says like all men must pay just to give you an example of the dialogue in this movie twenty six years ago I trusted I saved myself I was a virgin it's funny. Those were the times. That's how I was raised. <laughs> what kind of creature takes such a thing, such a gift, a trust? Who does this? Takes advantage of a 42-year-old woman. What kind of creature leaves this woman waiting like a fool? A man. A man does this. So men must pay, am I right? Estella will make men weep. Do you know where she is? Oh, yes. She'll break them. I taught her well. When she returns, she'll cut through them like a hot knife through butter. So, I mean, it's like, I've heard this before where, like, you're watching kind of a mediocre or, like, a bad movie. It's like, there's no subtext. There's just text. Like, (laughs) she's just, every character just says what they're doing. And if they're not, if they are trying to use subtext, it's because the script doesn't make any sense. Or there's not, there's not enough to kind of understand what they're trying to say because the the characters are so weakly written. Yeah. I trust you on that, Professor. (laughs) But do you know what I mean? Like, you hear some of the dialogue in this, you're like, oh, yeah, I I get it. There's no subtlety. She says what she means. All men must pay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's It's laid laid out out right like like that. Although, I got to say, too, I I have to mention uh, a special note to uh, Ethan Hawke's awkward teenage portrayal of Finn. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it charms me. I'll say uh, (laughs) that hair. That, yes, that hair Ooh. is something else. That's definitely dork hair for oh sure. Oh my god! It's like, did they bother to test that on him? <laughs> yeah, they just threw it on on the day. Alfonso was like, "Here, just just put this on." Yeah, I'm almost done. This guy's yeah. just, just bear with me. Grin and grin and bear it. Uh, but and it was also at this time that uh, uh, he has his rather 
not awkward, but rather intimate encounter with uh, Estella. Oh, we could talk about this scene for the rest of the podcast <laughs> because this was weird to me. So he's so he's been visiting them for a while. They're and, children. Yeah. So, well, children. Oh, okay. oh, you're talking. Okay. Well, oh, wait. What, well, hold on. Which scene are you talking? I, about? Um, I was talking a little later on. We'll talk about the. Oh, we'll do the kids first. So yeah. Oh God. So early in the movie. So when when uh, Finn is still a child, he's ten. Um, and he meets Estella for the first time, and, and she's obviously a, a cold, stuck-up, rich child uh, that doesn't seem to like him very much, but they become friendly, and then they share a kiss in a fountain. And that's kind of cute in concept, but it is a there is a very tongue-heavy kiss for two, what I have to assume, are 10-year-old children in a movie. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but that's just there's something about that, being like, oh, we went that route. Now, it, it, it has a purpose because it sets up later on when he encounters her in New York and, and he's taking a drink out of a public fountain. And she, I guess, being very sure that it's him, walks up and just kind of kisses him in the fountain. And we call back to that with a lot of tongue as well. But I think you could achieve the same thing if it was just a regular kiss. Yeah, yeah, probably. You could still have that little bit. Yeah, but I mean, I also, uh, who are, how are we to assume? We cannot assume that that was, like, the intention of Alfonso Caron. Maybe those two kids just enjoyed making out with each other, and, and he got, like, the most intense take and was like, well, I gotta use this one. What am I gonna do? Use the dumb ones? Look at this. Look at this. This is filmmaking. I just, I, hey, I'm not saying Caron is, like, a weirdo or anything, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, this... Just the way it's shot, like it seems like weirdly sexualizing it in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it is, it is a strange scene, but because yeah. uh, uh, it's not like it's not like there's no ever like. I mean, I'll I'll just say this right now for anybody listening. That whole controversy over that movie, Cuties. Yes. I mean, that was a whole different thing. That was a critique of a certain kind of you know mm. whatever. I'm not going to get into it. It'll be mm. a whole three podcasts if we do that, but. That is like a different thing to me because they were addressing it and they're talking about it and they're addressing the issue. Yeah. This is just like, let's just have these weird like child yeah. tongue kiss and then that's it. I wonder, did the <laughs> did somebody be like, oh no, when I was a kid, we just, we, we used tongues like that. So you should have them use tongues like that, Alfonso. Yeah, I bet you that kid, like, like that dude was like, I should probably use my tongue, right? Or maybe they just don't know how to kiss and that was what came out. Maybe. I mean, they're 10, Brendan. Jesus. All right, so we can stop kissing, talking about we can stop kissing. Oh God, no, Jesus, we're, stop we're gonna, kissing. We're gonna amp this up, right? And we're gonna move on to when they're a little older. And wow, so, wow, wow. in the movie, uh, at some point, Estella has to go to a party, like a black tie party, and um, oh, yeah. uh, Miss Dinsmore uh, basically sets sets up that Finn should go on, should go with her, right? So she's like, oh, okay, show up at eleven. And so Finn shows up in a suit and driving his dad's uh, gardening truck with yeah. still with the rakes and shit on it. And why, why did he take those out? Yeah, you think it well, but you know, it's a lot of work to take him off, and he's probably just going to use him tomorrow. But he shows up, and the guy won't let him in because he's not on the list. And then she comes out, and she's like, "Let's get out of here." And it's clear that that was her plan from the start was just to use him as an escape hatch. And he's like, "Where do you want to go?" And she's like, "Let's go back to your house and see how you live, you scumbag." And I was hoping Chris Cooper was going to still be there. Yeah, and she'd be like, "Well, howdy, howdy. Well, it looks welcome. like a name. Guessing my house." Um, so they go back to the house and, and they have some uh, a fun as she walks around and looks and he's rather uncomfortable. He didn't expect guests and eventually ends up with him in the kitchen and him basically fingering her. Not not, not basically. I mean, he, I don't think he's actually fingering her. I think he's just over top. And no, he goes or did underneath. You, or did you see the fingers? Well, go I saw underneath. them go underneath. Yeah. So which is not that I was like studying closely. <laughs> which, in my mind, outside of a por- pornographic film, 
this is not an act that you generally see in a feature film. It's not, it's because this is on the progress. Now, I get it. They're young, and this makes sense maybe for them being young. Oh, keep in mind, this is when they're, it's Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, this is not what they're kids. No, no, they're, they're, they're teenagers. <laughs> there's quote, no, there's no child finger bang They're, they're these 20 somethings playing teenagers at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, convincingly for convincingly, Gwyneth. Yeah. Ethan, Ethan uh, so he, much. he shaved and put on that wig and, and uh, yeah, you know, that was enough. Gwyneth has kind of always looked young, so. Yeah, yeah she hasn't aged much. Like, yeah, she looks almost the same now. <laughs> That's what goop will do for you. But, yeah, and then and then it just kind of goes into this, like, thing, and, and she's enjoying herself, and he's, like, confused, but also happy, and I imagine uncomfortable, because mm. uh, his pants are still on. And then it just kind of ends, and she walks off and leaves him hanging. And she's like, I gotta go. Now, I'm not saying that he's entitled to anything, but I'm saying I recognize the position he's in, because I've been there in my life, and uh, yeah, that's not comfortable. <laughs> um, and that, Well, that kind of starts like a little trend, too, is like she's always, quote-unquote, stringing him along yeah. and leaving him high and dry. Teasing him uh, the whole way, but that was a, that was a deep tease, doesn't it so feel, to speak. Doesn't it feel like this is a prime movie for like an incel audience? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, you know, people just watch, but yeah, that's happened to me. That's, that's a big sense, yeah. That's that's what girls do, man. That's what my girlfriend in Canada's like. <laughs> she doesn't mind that I sleep in my basement. No. Hey, Mom! <laughs> clean up the stairs! I'll fell! <laughs> said, the, my, said the lady down. <laughs> but yeah, that, that scene caught me off guard. I wonder if that's like Quran not being an American director. Well, I mean, he... he having a different... Uh, uh, ins- not insight... Instinct is what I'm trying to say. Well, there's there's no masturbation scenes in uh, Gravity, is there? That I remember, anyways. <laughs> I mean, none of them... That not made, that she had much time to do so, n- but... None of them that made the final cut. Okay, I yeah. mean, there is that deleted scene where George Clooney is, like, floating in space, and you just see, like, a stream of cum. Yeah, that... And that Sandra was... Bullock just looks in his... And, she, and then she looks right at the camera, and she's like, come on! <laughs> that effect costs $15 million. <laughs> and it's... it's Deleted. Yeah, deleted. Just because that's the kind of filmmaker he is. Now, well, I mean, Koran, let's be honest. Koran likes to have a little freakiness in his movies. I mean, he, he said, the, as we, as he noted in the interview, the movie that got him his mojo back, as it were, uh, was Itamama Tambien, which is a wonderful movie, but it's about a couple of uh, teenagers, young men on a road trip that pick up a MILF and proceed to fuck her uh, along the way. Now, it's been a lot of years since I've seen it, so I'm probably simplifying it. But uh, there's, a, there's a scene in that movie where those two gentlemen uh, are uh, prostrate on uh, diving boards beside each other and just you know just idly masturbating out in the uh out at this pool at a hotel so so it's not out of his wheelhouse for those things no so, this is him warming up the waters for the, for the yeah crazy exactly stuff. getting ready yeah getting ready for the good shit and then oh wait wait till we get to prisoner of azkaban oh boy well, you watched a different cut than i did <laughs> i got all the deleted scenes in mind gary oldman put that away <laughs> um Another thing that I will say about uh, about stuff that I don't like in this movie is the score. Yeah. I could not stand the score of this movie. And the songs. The score I do not remember in the least. It had no memorable effect on me. The songs, however, oh boy, what a 90s collection of fucking <sighs> music. <laughs> I don't even know. I couldn't even name you the song. One of them sounded like an Alanis Morissette song yeah, they, or like a knockoff. I didn't know the songs, but they sounded exactly like they would have been in a movie in 1998. Like there's literally a scene where I think like it's just after Gwyneth leaves leaves him in a room or something and the song song cue basically just sounds like I understand if, if I'm ever going to make a movie that is like The Dazed and Confused of 1998 or even a parody of, of like the world in 1998, I will use this exact soundtrack because it's pretty much parody. It's so aggressive. Yeah, it's aggressively it's... 90s, folks. It's, uh, and, and that's even compared to like a, a musical, like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Is that a musical? 
No. <laughs> was Baz Luhrmann's version a musical? I don't think so. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know how. Much I think I've you're thinking of Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Well, that that is a musical. That's, that's a great. Fantastic. Movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, I like the all the original songs too. Um, <laughs> I wonder now. I'm now that I'm thinking about it, and I've talked about it before. Ethan Hawke was in a modern remake of Hamlet as well. How many modern remakes has uh, Ethan Hawke been in? Two. You just named just them. the two. Damn it. Gattaca. Yeah. Was, Gattaca was a modern remake. It's a of remake Citi- of Birth of a Nation. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I was going to say Citizen Kane. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, so let's talk. So, I mean, the music, yes. Uh, another thing I don't really care for. Also, a couple of weird differences um, in this one and the uh, and the 1946 film. Um, the sister character mm. of Finn, yes. who's, like, with him and Joe, yeah. she kind of doesn't really do much. And she... She's there to disappears. To be, yeah, she's there to be a shitty kind of well, no, uh, pseudo she, mother for him, and then takes off. But she's not even that shitty. Like I don't feel like she's well, that it, shitty. It, it just seems. Well, I'm saying from those seeds, I get the sense that Joe, even though Joe's not related to uh, Finn, Joe gives well, a he's big, his uncle. Is he his uncle? I'm pretty sure. Oh, I thought the sister and Joe were going out. Okay, because that makes a lot more sense. Because the whole time I thought I thought that was his uncle, and I thought that was his sister. And then I mean, I was maybe like, it why? is his uncle because she's well, she's well, turning tricks at some point. Well, hold on though, I I because that's his sister, yeah, and, she, and he's his uncle. So when I saw them in bed together, I was like, wait, what? Oh, so they were in bed together. Yeah, yeah. so that would be it. And then because you see a guy leaving, and she's clearly turning tricks to make money. Mm. Whether Joe knows or not, I, don't I didn't know. pick up on that at all. Yeah, well, no, because because remember when Finn goes up. He's going up the stairs as a kid, and then there's this big beefy dude that's walking out, and he looks inside, and he sees his sister sitting on the bed with her shirt off. You mean, is that is that right after he uh, sits down to watch the conveniently timed news broadcast about De Niro being caught? I, I think, I think uh, that's captured? after he gets in the house, and then he sits down and watches the, okay. the broadcast, yes. The, 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 the wonderful movie trope where if, if as soon as a character sits in front of the TV and watches the news, it's going to be exactly it's what they be the most relevant thing that they could possibly watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, what do you think about uh, the, okay? So, what do you think about this update of? Because um, I was one of the thing I was looking forward to is Anne Bancroft as yeah. Nora Dinsmore because I know she's great. Oh yeah, and Miss Havisham can be a really fun character to play. I feel like she gets nothing. She gets yeah. Miss Havisham doesn't get uh, quite as much screen time. I'd say in this one, she has fun. Um, and she's clearly, a, I, I like her approach as being a much more like energetic Miss Havisham. Mm-hmm. I mean, or Dinsmore, I guess, but like, uh, where, cause Miss Havisham in, in the 46 version is very much like, she barely even moves. Like she's usually just sitting, right? She, if she, if she gets up and moves, she's very old lady like about it. Yeah. Whereas as, and Bancroft's fucking dancing around and, and, you know, uh, very energetic and crazy. And I mean, that's probably like an Ed Bancroft thing. Like yeah. She is a very, yeah. uh, I was energetic and crazy, but she's a very like, I mean, not now, but <laughs> goddamn, <laughs> she's a very like a uh, talented actress yes. and she's very animated yes. and everything. So, I mean, even in, like in 1998, I, she was, up I and liked her. that choice. I liked that uh, approach to the character that it was different than the original. And, but also, you know, it felt like that. Yeah. She's a crazy old lady. She doesn't have to be an invalid. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can be uh, dancing around and having fun. I do like the idea of, of her and, and, and again, I get. I think this is still a holdover, but I like the idea of her always being dressed up and having makeup on mm-hmm. all the time. So much so that there was a nice little visual uh, visual cue later in the movie 
Because the last scene we see her in, it's the only scene she's not wearing makeup. Yes. And it's also the scene where she has her dumb little redemption yes, or whatever. Emotional redemption there. But, again, I think this is another example of the visuals and the writing butting heads because mm. that stupid redemption scene is there. But then you also have Quaron being like, okay, whatever, but I'm going to do something with, like, the makeup, like, to make it mm. to make it mean something or at least try to add something to yeah, it. Yeah, to maybe to, to give the impression that you're seeing the kind of the real her for the first time in the movie or, yeah. or a realer version of her than the one that has the... the Queen Elizabeth powdered makeup on her face. He's trying so hard to make the script as good as he can yeah. by by improving on the visuals. There's another cool thing too is that they're always wearing green. Mm. Did you notice that? Like, uh, well, I, I not specifically, but now that you mention it, yes, there is a lot of green. Like Gwyneth Paltrow as Estella is always mm. wearing green, and then in that last scene where she's kind of let go, it's the first scene where she's not wearing green. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah, and 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 her and um. Nora, Miss Havisham, Miss Dinsmore, yeah. it, it, they they wear like they wear similar colors. Mm. No, no, like their, their connection. And then I don't want to get real film, film nerdy here. And then Ethan Hawke later on, when yeah. he's like going to his art shows and stuff, and she's away, Estella's away, and he's like wondering about her. He's got a green tie, mm. and that's the only bit where he has green. Oh. So it's like he's thinking about her. He's thinking about her. He's got her in his heart, on his neck, strangling him. You're welcome, America. <laughs> Solved it. Boom. The code has been cracked. The expectations were great. That's right. And we met them. Da 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 da. Thanks. Goodbye. Good night. <laughs> For screen. <laughs> and go away. <laughs> um, and then also, oh, the other little thing to add to that too is as soon as uh, she leaves, because at the first she leaves to go and like to New York or whatever, mm. he's painting his boat green. Yes. Aw. So. Yeah. What a lovely tribute. You, you've you got such a good eye, Brendan. And this is why I love doing this podcast with you. You point out these good things that I miss because I'm dumb and silly. I just watch a lot of movies. That's true, yes. You you know all the tricks of the trade. Hank Azaria. Wonderful, underused. But, but like, <laughs> my question is, I don't see Estella marrying this guy. Yeah, why didn't they give Hank Azaria the fucking pocket role in some way? Like, like, like he was an art insider and he was helping to shepherd uh, Finn through the, you know, the art world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would have been great. But he he has like one scene with him where he's like, "What should I do? Should I marry the gal?" His, his scene is basically he comes over to his house to be like, "Oh, so did you fuck my wife or, or my wife to be?" And you got a lot of cool naked. This? You got know. a lot of naked portraits. A lot of underwear. naked portraits of her. I mean, you really seem to be into her. Uh, you've really you really rubbed those charcoal nipples uh, real hard because they're very uh, very soft. Very soft. And, and oh, wow, her pubic hair is very dark. Jason, can you uh, put your pants back on? <laughs> hey, if you don't have to wear your pants during the podcast, I don't have to wear my pants during the podcast. I wear them. They're just around my ankles. Uh, so well, you think that I'm pooping. Ah, uh, I did think that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. It is your house, but I did think that. I mean, I'm going to, I'm not pooping, but also I'm not going to get up till you're long gone. Ah, well, that's probably smart. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate w- that. I would have loved if, uh, by the way, if Hank Azaria had just done his, uh, his heavy New York accent as like animal from Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't go to job this chick. Or he could have been snake from the Simpsons, you know, whoa. How could I charm this chick? How could I? How could I get this lady to eat my butthole? Whoa! <laughs> I don't know why I suddenly turned into Keanu Reeves there. Dirty Keanu Reeves. <laughs> how could I? <laughs> how could I get this chick to eat my butthole? I'll take balloons for eleven billion. <laughs> are they going to say? Are they going to say? How could I get this chick to eat my butthole, Bill? <laughs> Whoa! Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't see that connection. I know the movie is trying to tell us like there isn't really a connection, but I don't even think that she would be like, "Yeah, I'll marry you for fun." Yeah. Like, uh, but, uh, I mean, maybe she wants to destroy him. 
Maybe that's part of her her plan. The but it doesn't even seem succubus. like it doesn't even seem like she's even like stringing them along. She's just kind of there. Yeah, she's just like it's like it's what you do. She does. Yeah, she doesn't seem super emotionally invested in that relationship yeah. in the same way that maybe Hank Azaria is. Do you think the Do you think people saw this movie as like a sort of a Titanic knockoff with that whole portrait scene? Because this came out uh, only months after Titanic. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I, I, I can't imagine that Caron saw like a rough cut of Titanic and was like, that's what I'm going to use. Oh, I don't think they stole it. I just <laughs> think it's funny that this is so close to Titanic. People watching this being like, well, that's, I guess that's the question. Was another, that another draw me like one of your French girls scene? What, what was the idea even before Titanic was the, the, I guess the cultural meme of <laughs> laying down on a couch and being drawn or, or just being naked and being drawn by somebody. Uh, was that in the air? I mean, it Titanic? Mu- I mean, it must've been, must because have been. This mo- Titanic was in, Mid ninety seven, hmm. this movie I don't know what. Well, no, this it was ninety eight, so this would have been come out after Titanic. Well, yeah, no, I know, but I'm just saying I don't know when in yeah. ninety eight it would have come out. But at least had at least five or six months. Hmm. Uh, I'm assuming this wasn't a January release. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the portrait scene in this, they do they make a real concerted effort not to show you Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, uh, bits bits. But bits and bobs. We get. I mean, we get to see little bits and bobs here and there, and and, and and actually, it's funny because you. It's one of those movies that if you saw it a long time ago, you might think you saw her bits and bobs, but you actually saw the drawings. Would this have been one of those movies <laughs> that you often talk about, where when you were a kid, the tracking marks would have shown up? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question. I would have been pausing this movie if I'd have watched it because it probably would have been the only thing I would have found redeeming about this as a 14 year old. I mean, we already saw Shakespeare in Love. We got them. Yeah, but that actually was an entertaining movie. <laughs> no, I mean, no, but I mean, like, we've already seen Gwyneth. Like, that's true. That's this came true. out the same year as Shakespeare Love, too. I mean, it's nice that she has this record. I mean, but she's still very attractive. It's nice that she has this record. Yeah, it's nice that she has this record of herself at this time that she okay. can uh, return to to uh, remember her glory days. But at the same time, she is still very attractive and, and, and clearly um, mostly takes care of herself outside of whatever bullshit she sells on Goop. I don't know what you're talking about. I have I have a subscription. I have no complaints. You have bought so many eggs from that website. So many eggs. I have that like uh, what's that like vagina scented uh, candle? I was gonna say condom. That's what I've been smelling. Oh, I wasn't gonna say anything. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to insult your girlfriend. No, and it's not my vagina either. Oh, uh, just a it's just the candle, candle that's it's the burning. Candle. I should really. Do you think it's okay to put that next to that giant can of kerosene? That's probably fine. Okay. Kerosene. Kerosene is not known to be flammable. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's non-flammable kerosene. Absolutely. It says inflammable right on the can, so it's, it's spelled fine. wrong though. So yeah. that makes me worried. <laughs> By the way, just as a, a brief aside story that has nothing to do with anything, mm. uh, got some uh, free uh, speakers the other day. Uh, is this friend. an ad? Are we going into an ad? <laughs> Guys, I'm just saying speaker. <laughs> no. I got some free speakers the other day because a friend of mine just said, I don't want these. I never hooked them up. Try them out. I uh, started to put it together, and then I looked at the box. www. And then the website. Oh, I no. put that back in the box and got rid of it. It also has a sticker that said it was $3,200. Mm. And I Googled it and quickly found out that it was not. Did he buy these off the back of a truck? Apparently, this was bought at a yard sale. Uh, uh, not for that price. That somebody bought it off the back of a truck. Somebody clearly. definitely got scammed. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that has nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. But I just thought I'd tell you guys, don't buy speakers off the back of a truck. Don't. So, <laughs> okay, I want to talk about the art world, too, in this movie. Because mm. this movie, to me, it doesn't know whether the art world is, should be taken as like a serious conquest or if it's a joke. Yeah, it, it kind of rides the line and doesn't really say anything. It's because it, these these characters that we see in the art world are like 
pretty much stereotypes of what you or I might expect being people that are not from New York and what we think art people from New York would look like. This is what these people look like. But at the same time, they're not like turned into cartoon characters Yeah. to the full extent that they could be. They do seem a little like a little oity-toity as it were. It's just like the movie doesn't want to commit to one, one thing yeah. or another. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that exhibit, you know when she's kind of taken uh, Ethan Hawke or Finn or whatever through that exhibit, mm. they're walking around in a circle. Were those people's butts? Yeah, well, or bellies. I think it looked like bellies, bellies to me. Yeah, okay, because like I was a bunch I, of I couldn't stomachs. See, I couldn't see a crack. Yeah, so. and and that lady uh, made me all I could think of was like uh, Julianne Moore in The Big Lebowski. <laughs> my artwork is very vaginal. <laughs> I just I could not get it out of my head. See, that movie makes it very obvious the stance that they exactly, take. Exactly, exactly. But my question is, if she's just taking him around and just showing him that for like a second. How long are those people standing behind those exhibits? Like, are they just are they just standing there during like off hours too? I don't think they were people. She she told one of them to move the stomach out a bit. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. Wow, were they inside the pillar with I the stomachs think, out? I think so. Wow, that's, that's that's some hardcore art right there. That's what I mean. If the museum is not even open, I thought they'd taken the Randy approach and made like a like a rubber gut to put out there. But no, it's real people. That's crazy. I mean, that's art, right? I think so. Art, I could be wrong. As as the greatest artist that ever lived, Shia LaBeouf once said, "Art is anything that moves you." I'm not famous anymore. That's another right. thing he said. That's another thing he said. It's he's smart. I'm glad he's back. <laughs> Missed him. Watch the Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, script reading. Does just he play to Spicoli? See, just to see Shia LaBeouf unhinged as Spicoli. <laughs> That's awesome. Smoking weed in his car <laughs> and yelling That's and looking amazing. very, very confused. <laughs> well, Spicoli was confused, so it's all right. He doesn't. He comes off very strong. <laughs> the rest of it is like whatever. Just watch the stuff with him. Um, there's like a collage of like Shia LaBeouf reactions from that. It's golden. Yeah, another thing um, in the 1946 one they replicate is the reunion of um, De Niro's character later with yeah. Finn because it turns out he is this, he's the benefactor yeah. um, that's allowing Finn to kind of live this easy life in New York. Uh, he become Finn becomes pretty big. Like he sells his art. He has his first art show despite Chris Cooper arriving and almost ruining it. Well, I mean, yeah, not sort of. Yeah, he's just he playing the country bumpkin coming in and, yeah. and by quote unquote ruining it. He knocks over some fucking champagne and everybody acts like it's such a big deal. Yeah. Fuck off. Fuck off, you pricks in the fucking city. So what if some champagne gets knocked over? Who gives a shit? You all can afford it. You, you. Oh, I hate city people. Oh, I hate city people so much. Oh, the country. That's where real people live, my friend. That's where I grew up, baby. Yeah, the country. The for screen in country. On for screen. Fuck you. <laughs> so yeah, but, but yeah, yeah it's, anyway, it's like he comes in and makes a bit of a stir. Yeah, which is another which is another difference because I think in the nineteen forty six one he decides to take himself out of his life. Yeah, and, and the stir that he makes in the nineteen forty six one is oh the gall to show up as a lower class person to, to hear who oh, does this man think he is? I mean they do amp that up a little bit in this one. Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> at I mean, least have him spill a drink. In the in the allegedly classless society that is America, my friend, tomorrow yeah. night we'll find out what the real class is in America. You say that, but everybody listening to this already knows unfortunately. That's, or yeah. doesn't well, actually, it's a good point. It's a good chance they don't. Actually, I'm I'm going to make a prediction. I bet you there's a lot of Supreme Court uh, talk right now. Mm-hmm. Whenever you hear this, what three weeks from now? That's your big prediction. That's yeah, there's bold. a lot of Supreme Court talk. That's bold. Mm-hmm. I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict Donald Trump's heart explodes on November 11th. 
wow. If that happens, oh my God. Oh, just in time for Remembrance Day. Well, that's it. It, uh, It's Veterans Day in the States, and all the veterans are going to be like, fuck this guy, and his heart will explode. (laughs) They're going to fuck him? Yeah. No, to death. To death. And, And they're right to do so. Uh, because he, he claims to love veterans and then doesn't give a shit about them. So. I don't know if I can leave that in. No, you should. You a should. bunch of veterans just gang fuck Trump's heart blows up <laughs> on Veterans Day. Now that you say it like that, that is a really funny image. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> Pin a medal on those boys' chests. <laughs> Tie a yellow ribbon around that old oak tree. <laughs> Tiny bubbles. We're just going to stream of consciousness now. Okay. <laughs> So, anyway, <laughs> I was trying to talk about the De Niro. Yes, De Niro. Um, yeah. But he comes back as the benefactor. And this scene, to me, is so schmaltzy. Yes. Um, because he comes in and he's like, you know, I'm your benefactor. Oh, it's so nice to see you. You're, you're, you're not a well, little he kid anymore. He doesn't reveal it right out of the gate that he's a benefactor. He, he has for, to get shibbed first. He takes for No, he reveals it before that. No, because he, he uh, no, when they're... No, he so, reveals it before that because in the apartment he says, like, he says, like, um... Tell so and so I said hello, and it's the lawyer. So that that's when Ethan Hawke's like, "Oh, how does he know who I th- that is?" I think he, I think Ethan Hawke maybe starting to put it together, but he's not outright about it. He, he, not until they get to the trade, and he's but, like, it, "It was me. I was the benefactor." Well, let, let's play a little bit of the schmaltz here before we get to that. Just give me a minute. It's so good to see you. You know, Finn, you don't know how happy it makes me to see how you how you turned out. You, you grew up, little Finn. You're a grown-up. You're a man now, a famous artist. You live this life mixed with all kinds of interesting people. I'm very impressed, and nobody deserves it better than you. I remember you when you were a little kid good-hearted little kid, little Finn, the one person who did a really pure and good thing for me. Congratulations on your success, on your show, on everything. To you. Fuck that scene. Yeah, um, so... Like I almost he's, he's he talks so much in that sequence. I almost like, got, he does not shut up. I almost got diabetes watching that scene. But I would also argue that like in the original, this is the culmination of something for the character, right? This is this dude you know, obviously he's a criminal, he's a hard guy, he killed a mobster. He's had a lot of shit in his life. And the fact that despite the fact that when he found this boy, he grabbed him and threatened to gut him, this boy still went and brought him the tools he asked for brought him a sandwich, and brought him not only a bottle of booze, but a fucking bottle of Percodan. And he's like, oh, you know what's going on, kid. So this, I think this was, for him, this was the nicest thing that anybody had ever done for him in his entire life, and he only had to threaten to gut him to get it. Um, and so the fact that he remembered that so much led to him, when he got the money, being able to bankroll Finn's uh, moved to the New York art world. And it is something that has kept that character going through the years. Like that, the, the, to know that no matter what bullshit, what bad things he had done, uh, this one good thing came out of it. And so I understand why that character is like this in this scene, because that character is wanted to say this stuff. I imagine for a very long time, because it's something that has kept him alive and kept his, uh, uh, psyche in check, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, 
on the screen as it plays out, it just feels like, would you shut the fuck up? It just keeps going and going and going, and we get it. You love him. He's wonderful. You helped him. Fuck off. But it's a long scene. It is, but but it doesn't feel like that in the original. No. Well, it's not in the original, I don't think. I thought there was a scene where it's Oh, revealed. no, but I don't think it's nearly no, as no, long. No, no, it's not like that, no. Which and, is weird because... Does he get shipped in the original? N- no. Okay. He gets arrested. All right, yeah. Yeah, because they, they plan some heist, remember? Mm, mm. Uh, and he gets arrested and uh, taken away. And you don't really know what happens to him. In this one, he gets killed by Italian stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. Like, they might as well have just been like, Ah, pizza, gabagoo! Like, yeah. it's so over the top. Yeah, they and and the guy, I I got an unintentional laugh. I got to say though, because they're in the sub, they get in the subway to escape. One of the Italian stereotypes just comes to the door real quick, just shiv, and yeah. then looks at Finn, and then just walks out. <laughs> like why you're not gonna you're not gonna kill the witness? Yeah, and so he stabs the guy, and then and then stabs De Niro, and then they sit there, and De Niro tells him he's the benefactor or whatever, gets it all out, and then we like have that you know. Quaron fucking fade into the sunset and then we're with Finn later on and it's like <laughs> what we're not going to talk about what happened there like the fact that he's on a subway car with a dead body and they're going to show up and the knife is on the floor and it's like did you kill this man well no well it looks like you did kill this man uh, and I mean I, eventually they would have got the knife and found his prints weren't on it and you know it, he would have been released but that feels like a whole I mean and I get it that's not what the movie's about but it just leaves that open question of like uh, and then uh, just everything worked out and now we're a little later on. It's very much like those movies like uh, not not John Wick, but a lot of movies like John Wick mm. where you're like, where are the police? Mm. Mm. Like all these murders, yeah. all these crimes. Where are the authorities in this? Yeah, movie, sure, surely at least world? at least some of them would be involved in some of the crimes, at least in Sin City when they go to the prostitute world. Not, not, it's not another planet, but when they go to the town, part of town that's all prostitutes, they tell us that the cops don't come here. It's a new section of Disneyland. Yes, <laughs> the prostitute, prostitute world. <laughs> Hooker town. Hooker town. <laughs> Going down to Hooker town. Come on down to Hooker town. Woo! So that's Serbius McClintock's uh, newest uh, uh, single. Yeah, that uh, joke look, was... Look for that. That, that joke was for you and I and maybe three other people. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Justin would like that for sure. Our, our adoring audience at the, at the uh, Cellar Pub. Yep. <laughs> the first time it was good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Second sure. time, not so crickets. much. No. <laughs> we tried. Anyway, our failed stand-up uh, careers aside, check it out. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. <laughs> um. But yeah. Oh, also, just one last quick little thing is that uh, um, his name is his name is Finn. They were gonna call him Pip, and then they were like, "No, that's stupid." But we also don't know what to call him. Ethan Hawke suggested Finn because it was the name of his doggy. Oh, that's cute. I thought it was because there was all the fish. Like he was drawing pictures of oh, fish and okay. shit. So I mean, that would, like make, that would be yeah. cool too. I'm glad it was not that recent, <laughs> actually. Oh, by the way, Quaron talked about how he made like a kids, a small little kids movie before this. It's called The Little Princess. Mm. And it was like a huge, it was like, it's got like 97% on Rotten wow. Tomatoes. It's like a, it was not a small little success by wow, any stretch. Impressive. So maybe he's not. Maybe he's kind of humble. Humble. I think so. But Jason, before we get into the next uh, portion of this podcast, we need to take a brief siesta. Oh. So uh, we're gonna listen to some ads. You, well, did well, you say siesta because it's a, a a director who is from a country that may speak a variant of Spanish? I don't want to assume where he's from. I don't uh, believe I made that connection. That's I, I believe that was I you. thought. Uh. I believe that was you saying that. <laughs> uh, but we are gonna listen to some ads. Jason and I are gonna maybe you know make out for a bit, and then uh, we'll be right back. 
we're back. Bits and bobs. Bobs. Bits and 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 bobs. It's now time for Jason's Bits and Bobs. So I don't know how many I'll have here today, but let's go through the list here. Let's see what I said. Um, I mentioned how much more menacing Robert De Niro was in this movie compared to the original, and I like that. I like it. He just, because, uh, yeah, that character should be fucking scary. Where did the trope start where you just pour alcohol over your wound and it's fine? The Civil War. Okay. Because, well, then the reason is because alcohol is a disinfectant. So if you don't want to get an infection. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's just. Well, it, 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 you dump it on the wound, and the idea is, is that it kills bacteria near it. So you just it, it's not a foolproof method. You can still get an infection, but if you can kill a bunch of shit right out of the gate, if you got a bottle of booze and nothing else, well, it's better than nothing. And also, how did the police not see De Niro getting out of the boat and clinging to uh, a buoy? Yeah, no, you think they could, I mean, he's wearing a bright orange jumpsuit. I mean, in the middle of the ocean, that's going to stand out, I'd think. Yeah. But maybe they're just dumb. I'll assume these police are dumb. Mm-hmm. A- ACAD. A-cap. All cops are dumb. <laughs> I'm there. I'm with you. Um, I mean, bastards can be dumb, too. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Dumb bastard. Uh, uh, I said, oh, she's... Uh, so the old lady is kind of stuck in the 60s with her dress. I mean, we kind of see that, too, in the original, where she's wearing very old-timey dress. It's like that's when she stopped growing. Oh, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of at that point, like, as a person. For st- just stagnance. And yeah, stuff. it's, it's the, the, uh, the stagnance of the house, of, of her, of, of her life. I do like when she puts uh, his hand on her heart yes. to, to say that it's been broken. She yeah. says, what is this? And Finn says, your boob. And then she kind of smiles and goes, my heart. Mm. And then that's that's the scene that comes back around at the end when Finn is like, feel my chest. And she's, he's like, that's my heart. I was really hoping she was going to be like, your boob. Your boob. <laughs> it was a weird, it, it caught me off guard when the kid said your boob. I was like, wait, what kind of movie am I watching? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Alfonso Cuaron makes a nice looking movie and this is a nice looking movie I don't think it's a standout as far as his movies go but it looks nice but it's got some fucking it's got a lot of 90s ass Dutch angles especially when he's talking to the old lady uh, given that uh, you know a little bit of a sense of creepiness to it but but also feeling very much of the era it, it's no Battlefield Earth but it's uh, it's approaching Battlefield Earth there's uh, one of the voiceover lines I wrote down because it made me p- so pissed off at how stupid it was he says you remember how it felt and then I went home to draw it Wow. And that's what we see him doing. <laughs> that's when he, he talks about uh, Estella. Also, by the way, Jason, if this finger bang had gone down <laughs> in the David Lean version, they would have had to marry immediately. Yes, absolutely. And and the movie would never have been released. I don't know. David <laughs> Lean has some Well, bowl. maybe in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> On a double bill with blowout. Oh. Blow up. Sorry. And then, uh, and then uh, we would go and see Cannibal Holocaust somewhere else they're gonna say cannonball run Ooh, yeah I'd love, can we do cannonball run is there anybody british in that movie <laughs> we that we can can- tangentially say is a british movie i would just like to hold the double feature of ca- uh, a triple feature cannonball run cannonball run 2 cannibal holocaust <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> send people home happy <laughs> <laughs> i'll make people believe that that's the third one that's yeah. just what it's called yeah exactly yeah no, it's when's cool. burt reynolds gonna show up <laughs> he's coming he's coming don't worry but after after the chick gets impaled through her asshole with that spike, he shows up to save her. Oh, honey, you, uh, yeah, it looks like you got a giant spike up your ass. Huh. I'm going to want to jump on my Trans Am here. <laughs> oh, tonguing, her, tonguing his mouth is her thing. I wrote, I wrote that. Oh, yeah, that. loves it. Fucking getting right in there. Oh! He, he, he was able to taste her lunch. What were you saying? Another fucking trope I hate in movies. She says, why don't we meet for lunch? 
and then walks away. How does he know where they're going to be? Exactly. Come on. You got to give a place. You got to give a time. It's not just like, I mean, lunchtime. Sure. Okay. Well, let's assume it's at noon, but like. But this is not, this is not, like, there's no cell phones. Yeah. He has no way of contacting her. He knows her. Well, no, there are cell phones, but it's not clear that he has one. No, it's not clear that anyone has one. No, I see, I saw one, the, um, the lady at the art gallery is on a cell phone at one point talking, but that's because she's a fancy, important person. Right. That's the only people that have cell phones. Absolutely. But yeah, no, that happens in the movie so many times. Let's go sometime. Walks away. (sighs) I want to see a movie where that happens and then the character's like, man, I got to, I didn't Wait, come back! And the whole rest of the movie is him just trying to find her. Speaking of tropes, uh, when he first comes to New York, there's some real jazzy music playing that feels like it could be the library music used in any movie. It's like, ah, the kid's going to New York. Let's play some jazzy fucking music. It's like, like, you know, they they can't afford uh, 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 New York, New York, so they'll go with the stereotypical jazzy music. How did he not recognize De Niro when he was older and had a beard? He looked exactly the same. Yeah. But, I mean, it was a long time for Finn. I guess. The voice was exactly the same. I mean, there's, I, I'm sure I've seen some unique people in my life, and I know I have. But, like, I think I, there, there was a friend in my family growing up named Bobby Malcolm, and he died fucking 20 years ago. It was a lovely dude. But if, if the reanimated corpse of Bobby Malcolm showed up to the door, I don't know that I'd recognize him. Even though he was a close friend of my family's, I spent a lot of time with the guy and, and loved him, and he was wonderful. But I don't know that I'd rec- It was 20-plus years ago. All right, fine, Alfonso Quran. I yeah. see you have a defender here on the podcast. <laughs> Um, um, why did I write Ethan Hawke is going to date a kid? I think that's because that's when Gwyneth shows up with her child. Yeah, so he was chasing the girl through the house. It's like you think, oh, this is my next victim. <laughs> I was oh. like, for a second, I was like, wait, what? He's like, let's uh, look, I'm starting over. You know what? You <laughs> right know from what? the beginning. The movie, I would have given the movie props if it ended like that. I was like, yeah, balls movie. A, that is a strong choice on the director's part. Um, that's all I've got. You go ahead. So when she so she uh, uh, comes over to his place at one point and gets naked for that uh, drawn session and is real hot, but then she leaves him hanging uh, yet again and takes off and he chases her downstairs and doesn't even put shoes on and jumps in the cab with her. That was fun. I, yeah. I would probably put shoes on because it's New York. Yeah, I mean Gwyneth Paltrow, New York. I'd weigh weigh him out. Mm, mm, it's tough, but I, could I see. don't want to step on a needle. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, well, well, I mean, no, I guess I, I would have missed her. No, I mean, I mean, no, 1998, uh, AIDS was outlawed that year, so. Right, that Rudy Giuliani had already cleaned up New York by that point, so. Wow, and you know what's great about him is that he's exactly the same person. Yeah, never changed, always the hero, America's mayor. Mm. Uh, oh, at one point, so they do actually fuck at some point, and she literally says, I want you inside me. Mm-hmm. Which, was that, was that like cutting edge in 1998? No, probably not. Because, again, that, that is another one of those things. It's like, really? I should only see that in a porn film when somebody's saying, literally, I want you inside me. They couldn't have come up with a more poetic way to be like, take me now or something. I don't know. There is a few times in this movie where I keep expecting them to get poetic and they say things like that. Like, even yeah. when De Niro is threatening him as a kid and those yeah. he's like, I'm going to cut you like I'm a fucking fish. fucking gut you. <laughs> it's just like, very straightforward. <laughs> wait, again, what? the lack of subtlety. Yeah. And then later you'll see, like, it was like poetry. Da, da, yeah. da, da, da. And then you have her I want being you like, inside oh, me. <laughs> yeah. It's just a weird mix of stuff. Procreate now. Procreation. She does love standing naked in front of windows, though. Is that just a thing her character likes? Because 
I mean, it only happens twice in the movie, but it's like literally anybody who's outside looking in the window is getting a great show. Also, they had a, they had a setup for a joke involving that, and they didn't go through with it. What was the? What, how would you have rewritten it? Well, well, because she's standing there naked, mm-hmm. and you can see there's people right across the way with their window open. Yeah, and I expected the joke for one of them to look up and be like, "Oh, we'll make." Oh like yeah, a absolutely. Yeah, but I don't thought do surely it's like, why did you even show them? Like, uh, if they're not noticing what's going on. What was the point of that? Is that just? Is it just supposed to be like she just likes people to possibly be able to see, but not actually see? Yeah, it was weird that they didn't do a joke there. Go on. We've all seen The Girl Next Door. Mm. We know where to go with that. That was the, uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo sequel, right? Yeah, starring Emile Hirsch. Yep. <laughs> Alicia Cuthbert. My, my favorite uh, Elizabeth Salander. Uh, Is Alicia Cuthbert. Are they saying Emile Hirsch? <laughs> yeah, Emile Hirsch. Oh, he, he, he's a very good actor. I bet she could pull it off. Oh, so I don't know. Um, I should have looked this up but maybe you can tell me. There's a shot in this movie that I feel like for 1998 cost them a lot of money, which was a scene where Ethan Hawke is on the street and the camera kind of swings around him and pans up and then flies up into the sky and zooms in through a plane window into Gwyneth Paltrow, who's on a plane above the city. Uh, and I, I, I'm wondering if that was CG, because if well, it I mean, was... It would have to be. I yeah, think. I mean, or some crazy shit with a bottle. I don't know. But it, it seemed uh, like that probably was a good chunk of the uh, movie's budget. Well, yeah, because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of CG in no, this movie. No, I mean, you don't really need, like, giant robots walking through town. Although, it would have made it better. It would have been cool. It would have, it would have added some texture to the world. <laughs> I've made it in the art world. Now i got to worry about is these damn Decepticons. Yeah. <laughs> They're really more than meets the eye. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, we didn't mention the lawyer. I don't know if there's much to say about him, but he's... He's a big fat guy, just like he is in the original. Oh, the guy who, like, tells Ethan Hawke, you have a better yeah, factor. Yeah, and I love that he comes down to Florida, and he's like, I mean, I don't know if he's from Florida, but he comes down to Florida, and he's wearing that all-white, like, suit, like he's, like, a southern lawyer in the 30s, and that just made me laugh. I, I, I was thinking of that episode of uh, The Simpsons, where they do the spinoff uh, special, and uh, Wiggum and, and uh, Principal Skinner move to Louisiana, and oh, yeah. they have to fight the, the bad guy that wears a white suit, and he's a fat dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Daddy. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's uh, he. He was Big Daddy, this lawyer. Uh, uh, he, the, uh, he kept Finn's book. The, the old guy, the De Niro. He kept Finn's book. I didn't realize he took it from him. I didn't either. Yeah. What a dickhead, though. Stealing a kid's sketchbook. Right. I mean, he brought you food and drugs. And a boat. And, and they go back to the place, and the house is falling apart. Oh no! You're going into your Cosby again. <laughs> the back with the place and the pudding in the house. I'm in jail. <laughs> but they go back to the house and it's falling apart. And then they have a little moment on the end. Uh, he meets the daughter and they stand on the pier and they, they hold hands and then the movie ends. Let's and so if we remember in the 1946 version, the ending was much clear, much more clear that they were going to get together. Mm-hmm. The book ends on a yeah, much vaguer note. We're talking about uh, Pip and Estella. Or Pip and Estella, be yeah. Finn and Estella. Finn and Estella in this one. Pip and Estella in the 46 version, it's clear that they're getting together. Yeah. In the book, it is much more vague, as I understand. It's not It's not implicit that they're getting together, but there's possibilities there. And in this movie, I'd say it kind of splits the difference somewhat. They don't explicitly say they're going to fuck, but they do hold hands, and that is the universal symbol for we might actually touch each other's genitals. Well, yeah, that's that's what I think. when I That's like reminds me of the ending of Fight Club. Yeah. When we're watching all the yes. buildings collapse, Edward Norton and Helena Bonham Carter slowly hold oh, hands. Oh, I wish this movie had ended with that pixie song. It's been on the mountain, on the ground. Try this drink and spin it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, they could have. Fight Club. My mind. Jason, Fight Club came out in 1999. Mm. Don't tell me that they didn't think about putting it in this movie. They passed on on that song, uh, Where Is My Mind, and David Fincher snapped it up. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, this movie is uh, basically Fight Club, I guess, is what we've come to the conclusion <laughs> of. Well, let's also, let's just play one last clip. Let's listen to that ending scene with um, Finn and Estella. What are you doing here? I brought her. I wanted to show her this place. What's left of it. Have you been here often? No. No, me neither. So you're doing great? I hear all about you. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah. Things have been different for me. For a long time, I get... What? I think about you a lot lately. I'm glad. Can you ever forgive me? Don't you know me at all? She did know me. And I knew her. I always had. From the first instant. And the rest of it, it didn't matter. It was past. It was as if it had never been. It was just my memory of it. Could have played it. They were holding hands. They could have played that Pixie song right there. I don't like that ending at all. Mm. It's very, again, it's super schmaltzy, and it's very like, you know what? I've been thinking about you, and he's like, okay, I can see you have a kid now, so I must mean you're a mom, and that means you're wholesome mm. and you're safe now. Yeah. You know, actually, and, and I don't know that he's right for her because I don't know if he knows at the end of the movie, he has turned full douchebag. And I can tell this because he's wearing a suit. Like a full, like white, like leisure suit type thing, and he's wearing flip flops with it. What a dick! That's I know that's like Florida uniform, but that means you're a douchebag. <laughs> so, um, just to cap this off, Jason, this doesn't not go to any awards. Mm. Um, this movie cost twenty five million dollars to make. Okay, uh, it made fifty five and a half million. Yeah, at least it made some money. I'm assuming a lot of that was international. Mm. Uh, but yeah, what do you what are you saying? What do you think? Ugh. I mean, better than English patient. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a hard bar to not get across. Uh, but it's fine. It was like I, it's cool that it exists, I guess. But I mean, it's like that's the thing is the, there's a million versions of this story, so another one doesn't really make a difference. And while I certainly like Al- Alfonso and his uh, style, and I like Ethan Hawke and I like Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, acting abilities uh, and body, um, I can't I, I, I can't really even recommend it because it's just. It's just, it's just, it's a waste of time. I would say, yeah. like, if you really need to see a film version of Great Expectations, watch the 1946 version. I mean, it's not a complete translation of the book, but it's much closer, and it kind of approaches the the style of it uh, more so than this. Um, this movie is suitable only for if you want to do like a, a kind of a comparing and contrasting film class type exercise, as we are right now. Uh, and we have done this so that you don't have to, but, uh, you know, if you want to and you can't find uh, the 
uh, uh, two Exorcist prequels that were based on the same script but made Ugh. from di- by different directors. And don't. And don't. But also, that, that seems like a fun film school lesson, even if the movies are bad, yeah. to see how two different directors take on the same script. Yeah, this is what this is. This is a film school diversion. So, treat it as such. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't really like this movie very much at all. Mm. Um, I would say that, like, like I said, the visuals I think are are good. Um, it does have a very '90s aesthetic at times, of course. Um, I feel like Alfonso Cuarón is not getting a whole lot of pull in this movie because I feel like he's still very early in his career. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there's the sun drenched, sun drenched vistas, the color uh, pastels, uh, the design of some of the locations, the green I talked about. I really like the green visual cue thing, uh, but the dialogue was so rough. The music was weird and obvious, and the writing is just so confusing yeah. and nonsensical and obvious and text and no subtext. And I don't know. I just I think the acting was uniformly good, and yep. like Hawk and Paltrow did what they could, and Bancroft did what she could, Chris Cooper, etc. Everybody, everybody tried. Everybody gave it the gold college try, and it just it just didn't work out. It's just not. It's just not good. That's okay. It's not a good movie. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? We're going to move on. We're going to move on because next week, Jason, I didn't tell you, I'm revealing this to you right now. Uh, At my request. Yep. Uh, Next week, we are going to talk about another remake. This is a remake of a 1955 comedy we talked about on this show before. We are going to watch 2004's The Lady Killers. Oh, which I have seen before many years ago, and I'm excited because I liked it more than the original. Oh, shit. I hate to spoil it, but we'll see. Hot take We'll we'll see if it holds up. We'll see. I have seen it, and uh, I don't know. We'll have to to check it out. So next week, that's what we're doing. But for now, Jason, they can find you on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Come by. Say hi. I am I am not well I am on Twitter but we are also on Twitter for our podcast at BFI underscore pod yep. uh, you can also find us on Facebook we're on all the podcast apps we're on ageofradio.org slash for screening country find us listen to us we're there Jason show us your love Jason Brendan I gotta say to you God save the queen God save the screen and for screening country I'm Brendan and I'm Jason expect greatness lower those expectations, my friend, lower them. Truth is, I thought it mattered. I thought that music mattered. But does it bollocks? Not compared to how people matter. you like movies. 
I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucker. Hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. 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 All that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.